Hi, I'm Matt Waller, Dean of the Sam M. Walton College of Business. Welcome to Be Epic, the podcast where we explore excellence, professionalism, innovation, and collegiality, and what those values mean in business, education, and your life today. I have with me today Claiborne Deming, who, after starting as an attorney, later became executive vice president and chief operating officer of Murphy Oil before becoming president and chief executive officer in 1994. And he later retired and became chairman of the board and executive committee of Murphy Oil Corporation in 2008. Well, along the way, I know you spun off Deltic uh, Timber and you also eventually spun off Murphy USA while you were chairman of the board. And so I'd like to talk to you about some of those things. But first of all, thank you for for joining me today. I appreciate it. Oh, delighted, Matt. Always glad to help. And Claiborne, also, I should note to the audience, Claiborne was inducted into the Arkansas Business Hall of Fame in 2019. And there's a nice video uh, on our website about his uh, background that I would encourage you to watch. If you just Google Arkansas Business Hall of Fame, Claiborne Deming, it'll take you to the page and and you can watch that. So Claiborne, I would like to, since people can get access to your background pretty easily through that video, I'd like to talk a little bit about some of your experiences, especially from a leadership perspective. You led the company through some challenging times in the world natural disasters and all kinds of wars and all kinds of problems. And you were a global company. So I'd like to talk a little bit about that. But uh, first of all, you state you were with the company most of your career. But when you became president and CEO, you had a lot of global responsibility. Were you CEO during the time of Katrina? I was, Matt. Yeah, it was one of the more challenging uh, of the events that we faced at the company. And it may have been the most challenging, quite frankly. Of course, I remember, Katrina, it was terrible. But you all had lots of assets and people. It was a complicated uh, time. Uh, The good news is that I'd been at the company at that point as CEO uh, for about 10 years, eight uh, eight years. Uh, And so I had a really good feel for, um, you know, how to manage at that point. I had the team around me who I had a lot of confidence in, a lot of trust in, and we knew each other so well we could complete each other's synopsis. And so when the, when the storm came through on a Monday morning, uh, we were all prepared. We, had, we ran our exploration and production business out of New Orleans in an office building down there. And of course, we were oh, the fourth or fifth largest producer in the Gulf of Mexico. Uh, and so what happened is, of course, we evacuated all of our platforms, we shut down our production. Um, and the storm came through. We also had a refinery in Moreau, Louisiana, which is in the greater New Orleans area. Um, and so the offshore production was severely impacted, but actually offshore platforms can withstand hurricanes pretty easily, quite frankly. They're designed for it. So in three weeks, they were back online. The office building in New Orleans became problematic because we ended up having 83 people marooned uh, in that building for a week. And we didn't know it because all the communications were, were shut down. And, of course, Internet, phone lines, the whole, everything. Uh, and so people historically had come to our building to shelter from a hurricane because we had generators and we had always 
been able to easily uh, ride the storm out there. Of course, Katrina was different. New Orleans became flooded and became lawless. And so on the Tuesday after the Monday, I'd gone down to New Orleans. I'd flown back. I walked to my office on Wednesday morning, and I'd seen our refinery. I knew it was a mess. We were going to be in a six-month shutdown there. And uh, general counsel, I mean, kind of the number two guy at the company, said, hey, Claiborne, um, you're not going to believe this. We have 83 people trapped in our building, and we're running out of water, and they're running out of food. we got to figure out something to do with them. And so we set up a war room. And we, you know, thought about, um, you know, we have insurance. So if Claiborne ever got abducted in Angola, uh, the insurance company calls whoever the black ops team is to come rescue me. And so we said, let's call that those people and see if they can rescue our people. They were all booked. They had already been taken by other companies. And so I ended up calling a guy named Ashley Mason, who was a kid from El Dorado. I knew his father, Richard Mason. Ashley was a special ops guy in the, in the Army. Uh, and he had mustered out and started a business in Little, North Little Rock to train special forces people how to snatch and grab people. So I called him and I said, actually, I need your help. I need you to go rescue 83 people in New Orleans. You need to do it uh, by Friday. Because another we had, we had a, a pregnant lady. We had a guy with diabetes. If he didn't get his medicine, he was going to pass away on, by Friday. So he got four people who worked for him, five off-duty Pulaski County Sheriff's uh, deputies. And to make a long story short, he affected the rescue that Friday morning and rescued 83 people. How did he do it? Uh, oh, my gosh. We gave him 25 k in cash. He flew to Lafayette with the 10 people. He got on a bus Friday morning, left Lafayette at 2 in the morning, got to Gonzales where the roadblocks were up on I-20. We had already told them we were going in to rescue people. They let us in. He went on the West Bank where you could actually then go over the Greater New Orleans Bridge and go on I-10. And our offices were right next to I-10, the elevated part of I-10 on Canal Street. And so he got there initially with um, two suburbans. And these guys, we were listening, by, by that time, cell phone service had been restored. We could listen to this. And they spit, we had a guy who in our office who had to take them there, who volunteered to drive them there. They spilled out of these two suburbans with the black stuff over your head, black lava, black clothes, uh, uh, AK-47s. And I mean, people were, were, were living on I-10 to get out of the flooded water. And they spilled out of the way. He went down the ramp. He got the money. Boats were going up and down Tulane Avenue and Canal Street. He started giving people two and $3,000 to get boats. He got a flotilla of boats, put them in there. We went to our office building. Well, we rescued the people, and we then uh, brought a bus in, the same route we had brought the two SUVs in, and we got all 83 people out. It was the damnedest thing you'd ever seen. It, it was all on the fly with people from El Dorado and Pulaski County who affected that rescue. And then the nutty thing is, that night, it was a Friday night, I went home, and we were supposed to go to, to Richard Mason's house for dinner, Ashley's father. They didn't know anything about it. And uh, I said, Elaine, I'm wiped out. I said, there's no way I could go. So I just went to bed. And the next morning, I get a call at 7 a.m. And it was a guy who runs our refinery operation. He says, Clayton, we got a problem. We got a really serious problem. I said, Mike, we don't have a problem. We just rescued 83 people. We saved lives. Nothing matters compared, nothing's as important as that. He says, well, this is pretty close. <laughs> he said, 
you know, our refinery is flooded. Yes. Well, we just have a big oil spill and we're spilling oil all over the adjacent neighborhood. And it's probably going to be one of the largest onshore oil spills in the U.S. has ever had. We floated a tank in our tank farm and it ripped away from some piping and oil just came out the bottom and on the top of the floodwaters and dumped on this adjacent neighborhood. So I said, yep, we got a problem. So I called the team together. I said, we're getting back together. And we started meeting that uh, Saturday morning. We had to put out a press release that day, Saturday, and we had to mobilize by, by Monday. So uh, and it took us, in a month, we knew exactly the playbook and it worked out. We, we fairly compensated people and cleaned up the neighborhood and got our, got our refinery back, in, back online. Oh my goodness. It was an extraordinary eight or nine days. But if that had happened, after a year or two of me being CEO, we would not have reacted nearly as effectively. I just knew how to take charge and take advice, defer to people, uh, make decisions on the fly if they're wrong, correct them, but make a decision, don't uh, delay. What a great way to open the podcast with that story. I asked you about it and I didn't, you've never told me that story, so I didn't know. That is a great story. So one thing that comes to mind is your network. You knew this guy to call. Well, you know what? It was it was like this. We were out of options and we literally had lives on the line. And to make it more complicated, everyone in the building in El Dorado knew this. And our board knew it. And no one could go rescue them. And we had all these far-fetched plans. We were going to rent a boat charter a boat in Baton Rouge with people and go downriver to the foot of Canal Street and get other boats and go up to our, our building to get them. We had to. We're sitting there brainstorming and brainstorming and brainstorming. And uh, a guy named Steve Cosay, who's general counsel and just fabulous, I was talking to him. I said, Steve, you know, the only person I know is Ashley Mason. He, I mean, he was in the Army and he actually has a thing in North Little Rock and he trains people for the government to go do operations like this. And Steve said, call him. And within five minutes, I called him. Within five minutes of coming up with the idea, we called him. And we got him. And he said, I got to think about this for a minute. And so he called me back in an hour and said, I'll do it but this one condition. And this is hilarious, actually. I said, what's your condition? And he said, we just can't have any liability. If something goes awry, we can't be financially responsible. And uh, I put down the phone. I said, Steve, did you hear that? He says, yeah. He says, you absolutely accept it. So we wrote him a one-sentence thing. Anything that happens, you're exonerated from liability. Murphy Oil Corporation assumes full liability. On top of that, one sentence, fax it to him, bam. So we were making decisions that quickly. And then he had to go find people. I mean, we did, we did this all on a Wednesday. Uh, and, and then Thursday, we, had, we tweaked it a little bit. And then he took off Thursday afternoon. Went to the bank at El Dorado, got 25000 bucks out of the bank of cash. <laughs> so, so he's going down the in his boat in the water, finding other boats and saying, hey, I'll pay you so much to come yes. with Yes, we were listening to this. He, he parked these two initial Suburbans, you know, these on-ramps. We get on I-10 off of uh, Tulane Avenue there, and he backed the, the Suburbans down the on-ramps to get them away from the people because it was such a... Uh, you know, 10 heavily armed commandos that were scaring people. 
And so he just walked down there to the water. And this is being narrated by the guy who works for us who drove him there. And it went like, Claiborne Ashley is flagging down a boat. Oh, my God, he's giving him a thousand bucks to get a boat. Like I said, Bobby, that's that's fine. Don't worry about that. He says, oh, my God. <laughs> he just bought a boat for five grand. I said, fine, great, no problem. <laughs> he bought, he spent about 15K in 10 minutes and got four or five boats where we floated them over to our office building and took people out back to that on ramp. Uh, I bet those uh, employees were quite grateful for the. Oh, yeah. No, it, it, it was about one of the most rewarding things you'll ever do because we definitely saved the guy's life who was a diabetic. Definitely. He was in a diabetic coma when we got him. And we had a medic there uh, and we gave him insulin the second we got him. Uh, and then we had uh, we had three ladies over 80 years old. So, Claiborne, you have mentioned to me before that your direct reports, your team, was quite remarkable. And you actually, one other time, you mentioned to me that they could complete your sentences. I know developing a team like that is not easy. Was your team in place during that disaster? Yeah, they were, but we assembled it over time. And when I first got my job, I was 40, Matt. And you think you're ready for something like that, but I really wasn't. And I really didn't know exactly what to look like for someone to work for me at a really high level who I could rely upon. And interestingly enough, the first person who worked for me who I knew had that caliber was a guy who ran our Canadian company at a uh, operating level. His name was Harvey Dorr, and he ran our Canadian company. And I'd been working there for about two years, and I wasn't doing very well. And so I, suddenly I told myself, you know something, Claiborne? Uh, I want everyone to be as good as Harvey. And if not as good as Harvey, I'm going to get rid of him and get someone who is. And so I just started calling people, replacing people. Our culture as a company, I worked for a really, really tough man uh, who had been my mentor and my boss. He was a remarkable human being. I mean, there's, I can tell you stories. Actually, I can't tell you stories because he, he was just a remarkable human being, but tough, tough, tough. Uh, and he, he really was old school tough. And so I thought that's what a CEO is supposed to do. So when I got my job, I inherited those traits. And so I was pretty tough on people. Public humiliation, yelling at people, come on, you're letting me down, you're letting the company down, you're letting da da da. And then we weren't going anywhere. Finally, I just almost one morning brushing my teeth said, I'm just going to be the way I am. I'm just going to be who I am. Uh, and I'm a nice guy. I have very high standards, uh, but I like people. Uh, and I'm going to express that gratitude and thanks and appreciation and not be this hard nosed guy. So literally that day I went to the office. And my whole demeanor changed, uh, and I was um, much more supportive. And if someone made a mistake, I said, that's fine, that's on me, let's pick it up and do it again. Now, that change literally helped set the culture and change our company. We became more collaborative. We became uh, closer friends. We relied upon each other more. We knew that we could take care of each other. And then me deciding that I wanted someone just like Harvey at that level I, and then I knew I could fire people. I, you know, you didn't know how to fire people initially. I had to learn how to do that. And, and all that I had to learn on the fly running the company. And so after about three or four years, I had all that done. And then I started put, we started putting it in action. And that team ended up being remarkable. That, that point about you became yourself, it seems to be so important. You know, you hear that more and more. There's a whole uh, area of literature around what they call authentic leadership. 
you know, because it's hard to actually perform well when you're trying to be someone else. And, you know, business is common sense. It's, it's just common, hard work, taking advantage of opportunities. Yes. You see, relying on, it's not a sophisticated MBA. It's not running a spreadsheet. It's seeing opportunities. It's, it's saying, let's go, gentlemen. Let's get it now. And then when you're wrong, go, you know, I'm wrong. And, you know, I read something when I was a kid. I uh, read a, a biography of Bear Bryant, and he had a great thing to his team. He said, uh, after a loss, he said, that's on me. That was my mistake. And then when they won, he said, he always told the press, you know, they did it. And so if you have that mentality, you incent people so heavily, so intensely. But you, and, and you, and because it was me. That's just kind of how I'm built. And so people see that so quickly, and it works. So, Claiborne, you rose through the ranks quickly. You had huge responsibility quickly, and you managed it for many years. So a lot of the students who listen to this podcast tend to be the ones that are probably a little more ambitious, you know. What advice do you have for them? First of all, uh, you got to work really hard. You you literally have to be there at seven. You have to be willing to stay till six. You know, I mean, forget eight hours. Whenever there's a job out there, volunteer for it. You know, whenever they say, uh, "Hey, I need something," say, "I'll do it." Uh, when I was a lawyer for the first two years uh, of the company, and we were great, it was great time. We were all that time was forty dollars a barrel, and it was back in seventy nine, eighty, eighty one, and we were all over the world and. And we had about five people in our legal staff. And my God, you could write contracts. You, you could negotiate a joint venture agreement. You could write the proxy statement. You could even litigate if you wanted to, for Christ's sake, which I screwed up and did one time. But I always said, I'll, I'll do it. I mean, our general counsel say, hey, I need someone to do it. I said, I said, I'll do it. That attitude, people notice and pick up on right away. And within six months, when they were, after I got to the company, when there was a legal problem, you know, we were like a law firm that the resources of the, there was resources of the company and the different departments of the company would call on us. And everybody in the company says, hey, I want Claiborne. <laughs> and you just get a reputation. You're willing to do anything. Absolutely. You're willing to work as long as it takes. When you screw up, you admit it. When you're successful, you know, be humble for Christ's sake. Everyone knows you're successful. Don't, don't brag about it. That's dumb. And companies don't like people like that. People like uh, humble people who give other people credit. So if you have that attitude and be willing to um, to learn, you know, you have to do a lot of, uh, like I, I was a lawyer and I knew some accounting, but I quickly said, oh my God, I got to learn accounting. So I just went to night school in El Dorado for two years and, and, uh, and learned accounting. And so, you, you know, the language of business is a balance sheet and an income statement. And you got to learn that. So in the company... Wasn't going to teach me about it on their time. Believe me, they had me doing legal stuff. And so do stuff like that. Yeah, that, that's great advice, Claiborne. This idea of being willing to jump in and take on challenges, projects, jobs, so to speak. People really notice. I mean, I every every business I've been in, you see those people. They stand out. Yeah, you know, you just volunteer, do more. And then you learn so much more. You're exposed to more. Um, and it, it, it really is a, it's a virtual feedback for, for your career. And, you know, one thing about business, after about 15 years, I had a, I had a guy who, who worked for me 
named Herb Fox, who's now deceased, and he was about the smartest right out of downstream business. He was just a terrific guy. And Herb told me something once that I later realized was so true. After you've been working in business long enough, someone brings you a problem. Within two minutes or three minutes, you actually know the answer because you've, you've been around it now long enough and you've been there and you've done it. And that initial instinct is right about 80% of the time. But your instincts become so powerful that you don't need a spreadsheet. You just say, oh, God, that's going to work. That's a terrific idea. The market's going to love it. Let's go do it. Now, let's back that up a little bit <laughs> by doing a little math behind it, give me some cost analysis, how big is the market, et cetera. But your instincts are much more powerful. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Be Epic podcast from the Walton College. You can find us on Google, SoundCloud, iTunes, or look for us wherever you find your podcasts. Be sure to subscribe and rate us. You can find current and past episodes by searching Be Epic Podcast, one word, that's B-E-E-P-I-C podcast, and now Be Epic. Be Epic.